When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. There's a touch of madness around here. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Yeah, I think right now I'm pretty salty walking off the field. I'm really frustrated. Uh, I do not want to walk into the summer with a bad taste in my mouth about practice. So hopefully we can finish really strong tomorrow and be feeling good going into the summer. But, uh, man, even one bad decision in practice kind of bothers me all afternoon, and I can be a bit of a grouch when I go home. So, uh uh, yeah, that one bothered me. Adam Adam was frustrated with a couple plays himself. He was sitting in his locker pouting with me, so we were having a little a little uh, pity party with, with each other just now before I came out here. All right, Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN.com, the Purple Podcast, and Saturday Morning Sports Talk. Was Kirk Cousins any better today, or did he just keep firing interceptions in the red zone? Is it is it, is is it time to reconsider this contract, Matthew? Uh, you know, I think they're in trade talks right now, trying to see if just anybody will take them for a late round pick. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? They didn't do red zone today. Um, he definitely struggled in the red zone yesterday. And, you know, normally I would say on that, like, hey, no big deal. I mean, they're in shorts. Who cares? But, you know, the, it is a thing with Kirk Cousins over the last two years, not just his numbers, his raw numbers, touchdowns, interceptions, quarterback rating but also the uh, pro football focus numbers and how accurate he's been in the red zone, how effective he's been in there. And if you're going to give Case Keenum credit for one area where he was absolutely outstanding, it was in the red zone. I mean, he was completing like 70% of his passes, did not throw an interception in the red zone last year. I mean, he was just outstanding. And with Cousins, it seems like he's struggling a little bit right now. Today I thought – he was better. Uh, they were doing a lot of the 11-on-11 stuff at, at the end. But there's still some hesitation in his game that you see. And, I mean, that's, I think, a product of having to move to Minnesota and join a new offensive coordinator with all new wide receivers and all that. Uh, but that does happen with him sometimes in real games. What you see on tape is that there is that extra tick of hesitation, and sometimes that's led him to – throw interceptions in, in big situations. So from the past three days, sir, uh, what did you see that, that in your mind meant something either good or bad that you actually think was uh, substantive? It's, it's really hard to tell, right? I mean, yes. what you're seeing out there that could mean something and could not mean something. I mean, Laquan Treadwell's looks pretty good, but does that really mean anything? Uh, that, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about from the... Uh-oh does is meaningful is how they're playing the offensive line with Rashad Hill at right tackle, Mike Remmers at right guard, and Remmers had uh, talked to, with him today, and 
he was just saying that he loves playing guard. Like, it, it kind of fits his skill set. He likes getting in space and hitting people, and he doesn't seem to have any issues. And usually if a guy does, even if he's being polite, he'll find a way to tell you. And Remmers legitimately seems like he's good with playing guard, and he's comfortable there. So that puts a lot of pressure on uh, Rashad Hill, and that will be something that we're going to be focused on a lot since they didn't find a replacement right tackle. But from the entire offensive standpoint, it's one of the classic offseason cliches to say the defense is ahead of the offense. But, I mean, in this case, it's the number one defense at everybody's back playing against an offense where nobody really entirely knows it yet. So the progress of the offense is going to be something we're we're going to watch. But when it comes to the guys in shorts, it's like I don't start taking it really seriously until they got – you know, actual pads on. Yeah. Hey, back to the to the red zone stuff for a minute here. I just went back, and I want I want your thoughts on this because the red zone thing has been a problem for Kirk Cousins the last two years. In fact, inside the ten yard line, Kirk Cousins with Washington the last two years has a thirty four percent completion rate, and it is percentage wise, it is harder to complete passes inside the twenty because the field is smaller, the percentages go down because there's everything is scrunched together and the windows are tighter, and you tend to throw the ball away. So, so there's, there's no one clicking at a 70% rate over like two, three, four seasons in that zone, but that's a really, really putrid percentage. It was a lot better, and his overall numbers in the red zone were a lot better in 2015 when he had a healthy Jordan Reed, when he had a healthy Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson was on that team. Um, how much stock do you put into his low percentage inside the 10, and how much do weapons matter when it comes to you know, fluctuating red zone performances for a quarterback? I think the weapons are huge, and also scheme. I mean, I was for some reason it came to my mind that two years ago against Detroit, uh, they dialed up as Pat Schirmer's first game as offensive coordinator. They dialed up a jet sweep for Rhett Ellison for a key touchdown at the end of a game. So we saw a lot of trickery down at the goal line last year for Pat Schirmer that made for really easy plays for uh, Case Keenum. I mean, how many times was he? throwing it to a wide-open Jarek McKinnon or, or David Morgan. It wasn't a lot of really super tough throws for Case Keenum, and I would imagine that's going to be the goal for John Filippo is to dial up as many you know schemes, as many trickery or misdirection or whatever, so he's got a really easy throw for Cousins. It's definitely uh, those things all, all go together, who you have. I mean, uh, Kyle Rudolph is a guy who's as good as anyone in the red zone at just throw it up, and he used to be a basketball player, and he's 6'6", and he could just go up and get it, and he's uh, been spectacular there throughout his career. So I think that all those things will help. The thing that would concern me, though, is the pro football focus number. They graded him as the 39th out of 46 qualifiers, 39th most accurate quarterback in the red zone last year. Mm. Like, so maybe not just the weapons or just the scheme, but also how he's throwing the football, too. And that would make me wonder, like, is this an area where he just struggles and maybe you are going to have to rely a lot <laughs> on Delvin Cook when you get down there? So what what did, did you take from the uh, thing that I, I saw you wrote about with cous, with cousins and Thielen having a lengthy discussion at some point uh, during the Wednesday practice as far as trying to get on the same page with routes and what cousins thinks Thielen should be doing and vice versa? Uh, in one way, it's good to get these things out of the way now. I mean, if you guys are going to argue about how an, a route should be run, like let's do it here instead of in week two and, you know, get that communication going and and understand how everybody reacts to situations and learns different things and and how they think certain routes should be run. At the same time, I do think that Kirk Cousins is a different personality than Teddy Bridgewater or Case Keenum. 
where Teddy Bridgewater was just loved and revered as the unquestioned leader, and he was friends with every guy, it seemed, and they had just great rapports with him. And then Keenum just had this sort of simplistic football guy sort of way that they all really reacted to and an enthusiasm that was really uh, genuine and natural for him that I, that I think that they connected with. And with Cousins, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because they sort of try to protect the quarterback as much as possible and nobody's going to really come out and say it. But when you look at Washington and how they reacted to him at times, you do wonder if he's got that strong personality where he's not going to want to be wrong when he's talking about arguing with a wide receiver. I think that's going to be a little bit of something, just his personality, that they're going to find is different from their previous quarterback. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Diggs spoke about his contract this week, and you know he, he said what anyone would say, which is, I'm focused on playing, and my agent will handle all of that stuff. If I'm Stefan Diggs, I would gamble on... I, don't, I wouldn't sign a contract extension before the season. I would gamble from an injury perspective, because you're always putting yourself out there, that I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna put up a thousand plus yards and I'm gonna and I'm gonna take another step and I and I, I would personally hit free agency. What's your read on where things stand uh with Stefan Diggs and what do you think happens? Do you think he just do you think there's any chance they come to an agreement before the season? Well, I definitely think that there's a chance, whether it's him or uh, Daniil Hunter. But if I were the agent for either one of those guys, I would probably suggest betting on yourself. Because even if they do get hurt, the money that's out there is so crazy that someone's going to pay it anyway. I mean, I've seen people on Twitter say, like, oh, Diggs has got to prove he can stay healthy. Like, I mean, he's played 28 games out of 32 over the last two years, and he's ranked in the top 20 by pro football focus the last two years in a row. I mean, I don't think that that's really the consensus. I mean, he does have that uh, issue with the groin a little bit, but it really didn't hamper him a whole lot last year. And teams are so desperate for guys who are versatile route runners. I mean, everything now is about asking wide receivers to do seven different things well. I mean, that's, that's the reason that guys end up being busts a lot with wide receivers because everything is so complicated and they're asking them to do a bunch of different things. And, and Diggs is one of those guys. So you look at what Sammy Watkins got paid. Watkins is not the receiver that Stephon Diggs is in terms of what he's uh, done on the field so far. And yet he got paid $30 million guaranteed, which I think you're pretty good set for life with that. So, you know, if you're Diggs, you could be talking about a Mike Evans-style contract if you have a great year with Kirk Cousins. And Hunter, I mean, pick up 10 sacks and you are getting paid $20 million a year yeah. potentially, $18 million. I mean, so there is that argument. There's also the fact that these guys like Minnesota. They like Mike Zimmer. They like the Vikings. They like winning. I think it matters to them, and that's why – you know, Kirk Cousins brought this up that Eric Hendricks signed quickly because he said, I just want to be here. Like, I just wanted to get this done quick. I want to stay here long term, and that's it. And I think that that was Xavier Rhodes' attitude last year and could be the attitude of one of these two guys. But there's a good argument for them to go out and hit the market. Is, is Griffin hurt, Matthew? I don't know. This I mean, is a weird one. Day, yeah, the first day of OTAs, Zimmer said he tweaked something. So mm-hmm. we asked. Well, was it the foot from last year? No. Well, what was it? I'm not telling. So, like, okay. And then he hasn't participated since. And I, this would be a situation that I would look at and say, like, good. Everson Griffin does not need this. He does not need to be out here. He sure. doesn't need any wear and tear after being dinged up last year. It doesn't matter at all for somebody of his caliber. At the same time, last year being dinged up and falling off toward the second half of the year and in the playoffs because of that, 
you do wonder, like, yeah, this guy's starting to rack up the miles on his body now and getting into his 30s. And if you were going to point to one guy who you would say is going to have not as good of a year as he did last year, you'd say him. Usually if somebody picks up almost 15 sacks in a year, they're bound to regress the next season. So, that you know, it's, it's something worth watching. But, I mean, you don't start taking it seriously until he starts missing training camp uh, reps, you know? Brian O'Neill is a rookie tackle drafted in the second round who eventually might play. Explain to me uh, what, what you think the thought process was in, in the fact that you tweeted out uh, yesterday him running routes and catching passes. Well, first he was wide open. so Well, I'm glad he caught it. And he sounds like he's built like a tight end from his frame. <laughs> um, I, You know, I, I didn't ask that. Um, but if I had to guess, I think that maybe they were trying to have some fun. Like just like, hey, this guy used to be tight end. Let's let's go get the reporters to write about how O'Neill was running routes, so other teams will think. You know, they're crazy like that, so other teams will think that we're going to use them in the red zone. And judges took the bait it. hard, like right Jared there. Jared Allen did. Judge ne- took the bait ne- so never, hard. Never, never dismiss what you see, Matthew Collar. I've made that mistake before, and it comes back to bite you in the butt. Football is not about fun. Football's so, uh, all about okay. business. Okay, Bill Belichick. So uh, Chip Scoggins and I have a bet now for Brian O'Neill whether he is going to score one touchdown this year or not. So uh, I, you, I, I like it. Be, he will be a part of the heavy package. <laughs> uh, I think it's a goal. I don't know. I mean, like o- O'Neal, we thought we talked to Remmers about it, and he says, like, look, it's it's really tough for these guys who come in. The NFL tackles uh, def- defensive ends that they're facing is just outrageous. He's he's going against Daniil Hunter if he gets first team reps. I mean, now he's not in practice yet because he, he couldn't do that. But you think about the caliber of players that you face versus playing at Pitt. You think about the strength that's required, the detail that's required. I was watching a video this morning about of Joe Thomas, a Hall, future Hall of Fame left tackle, talking about how he used to try to hit the hand of Jason Taylor when he would come off the edge because he knew when he was going to punch and he knew how he could knock down his hand to get an advantage. It's like the detail required to be good at that position is outrageous. So I, I don't think that he's anywhere close to a starter right now, and maybe they do use him in, in some of those things, and maybe they do you know, dial up some trickeration or something. But I think with him, it's, it's going to be just worth watching how much progress he makes, but I wouldn't expect him to even be competing for that job. If he was, then it would be a major bonus. Yeah. Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com. Find his mini-camp coverage and Purple Podcast and Saturday Morning Sports Talk. See you, buddy. See you tomorrow. See you, Collar. Bye. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, Yeah, he'll join us in studio tomorrow. A little more. A little meat and potatoes on a Friday tomorrow. Uh, Let's jump right into our next guest here after just a couple minutes break. Roy Smalley will talk twins with us when we come back to the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Man, isn't this the greatest? On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Are we ready? Let's get it on. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. Roy, rack another one up for Eduardo Escobar. A little singled. <laughs> amazing. Single to right. Uh, Rosario double Escobar single God. already. It's uh, it's amazing. I mean, Rosario was kind of doing this last year, and and Escobar's been a solid hitter for a while here, but he's gone to such a such a new level. Who would have thought that we've talked about him on the show with you? But he's now a bona fide 
one, two, or three hitter, wherever you want to put him in the order, and he's just a bona fide producer. Well, as is the case for Paul Balder with this lineup, you've got a lot of guys that can uh, that can hit probably two through six, and uh, they're they're kind of interchangeable. And that's going to be one of the things that's going to need to change just a little bit, get some uh, a little bit better defined roles from a production standpoint. But Eduardo Escobar clearly is a um, is a front five hitter uh, in in this lineup, regardless of how. You know, Buxton and Sano and, and Kepler start uh, turning it on or not. Roy, has he changed uh, things that, that you've seen through the years, or, or is this just also a, uh, him get, getting the opportunity to play so much that, that this was always there? Have, have you seen him adjust things at the plate? You know, I, I can't say that I looked at him when he came over. I, I wish I could tell you, boy, I, when they traded, he got traded over from the White Sox for. Uh, Liriano, I knew that they had this diamond in the <laughs> I, 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 I don't think the White Sox had, had dreamed about this this either. But what he has done, I think, is is because of a combination of things. One of which is, you know, he's an emotional guy, right? You can tell, and most of the emotion is is happiness, joy to be playing. He's, he's just a he, he's a joy to be around, and and I think that. That just the fact that he's uh, got playing every day and is able to get the confidence to that he's he, he's going to be in the lineup whether he messes up or not, whether he produces or, or not. I, I think for you know a happy emotional guy, I think that's a big deal. The second thing that uh, that he's done is uh, from playing every day, he understands that his natural swing. That great leg drive that he has, and it's as good as anybody in baseball. It's why he has so much power for the little frame that he has. I mean, he drives into the ball so well that he's just letting that thing run. I mean, that's his hitting mechanics, and he's just going with it. it kind of just let the chips fall. This is this is how I hit. And then the third thing is uh, maybe as important as as all of them. He's he's come to realize. He is a low ball hitter. The ball needs to be belt no higher than belt high, or he needs to just let it go until he gets two strikes. He was getting himself in bad counts and, and striking out a lot, swinging at high fastballs most of his early career. And this second half of last year, all of this year, you look at the pitches that he's swinging at, the pitches it, uh, are all belt high or below. He's taking those fastballs high getting himself in better counts, forcing the pitcher to get down in the strike zone, and he's deadly down there. Yeah. And so it's, it's been kind of all of, those, uh, all of those things, I think. So, okay, I want to go down this path with you, Roy Smalley, this sort of approach at the plate where you look at all these pitchers now and they're all throwing 95, 97 miles an hour. I mean, Jack Morris brought up a point on the broadcast last night. 97 used to be a get, just get it by any hitter pitch, and now these guys are all tuned up to be able to hit it. But when you walk up to the plate, I, I would think it's – quite daunting if you aren't thinking all right i'm looking for this pitch in this area or i'm looking for something specific like what it take us through that approach as a hitter to try and make it less daunting when you're facing pitchers with such great stuff to give you a better chance to do something productive well you know first of all first of all i can't i can't just uh, stand idly by here and let you say that guys couldn't handle 97 miles an hour a long time ago nolan ryan's I mean, it was hitting 104 or 5 on the gun. So yeah. either the guns are different or uh, or something. I will say 
that uh, in you know it, in my day, you know, no one was having swings against Nolan Ryan the way they're having swings now against guys throwing 97, 98, 99. So either the guns are different, and or these guys, these athletes are way way better than uh, than uh, in, in times past. Yeah. But you know, whatever it is, your point's well taken. Uh, whatever the the hardest fastball, the biggest miles at mile per hour. Uh, is in your in your era when you're a hitter, you have to be very very focused on making the ball be where you're good. And so you walk up to the plate and you say, "Okay, I'm looking fastball." And I used to, you know, the harder a guy threw, the the more I would what, what hitters used to call keyhole, which means kind of hit like it's three and one. I, I I want this little tunnel that I'm looking at. The ball's got to be right here. Let's call it mid-thigh high, uh, uh, middle of the plate to just inside middle. And, it, and I'm just looking like there's a tunnel from his hand to my contact point. And if it's not there, I wouldn't even watch the ball go, go past me at the play. I mean, I was so focused on this one spot. What that does is, it, you know, it, it, if it's two or three inches either side of that, you're still going to swing at it. But what it prevents you – from saying this guy's throwing hard, getting all geared up, charging after the ball and swinging it at everything, uh, and most of which you can't hit when a guy's throwing 98 miles an hour. So what what Escobar has done really, really well is some version of what I'm talking about. Just get all the sights, just bring it all the way down. The ball is going to be belt high or below. I'm going to assume it's there. I'm going to charge after that. And if it's not there, I just I, I ignore. I totally ignore it until I get two strikes. Hey, Roy, take us through your thoughts on, on this team in particular. One, one place where I feel that they've definitely taken a step back towards uh, 2016 is this team makes some really dumb mistakes, and, and they're ma- managed by a guy who's a baseball savant. I mean, he's a baseball genius. W- when you see this team run the bases in some ways where it just le- leaves you scratching your head or makes mistakes, what's your theory about that? Because, you know, I mean, Paul's a guy who is – as I said, a baseball savant. So it just it surprises me when you watch these games and there's times where they just do incredibly dumb things that don't make sense. Well, I know that eats a Paul. I mean, you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just uh, you know it absolutely eats at him. I'm I'm sure. And uh, players are different now. Things are different um, in in the game. Uh, there the it, there's very little of the chewing out of players anymore. You know, I mean, when I came up at 22 years old at Texas Rangers, Billy Martin was my first big league manager. I mean, it was like, that was like, um, just, okay, just open the door and let me walk into the fire. You know I mean? And um, it's not like that anymore. And um, it's more, um, there, there's a whole lot more carrot than there is stick these days. Let's put it that way. It's, there's an awful lot more uh, fatherly pat on the head conversation about you know let's not do it that way anymore. Let's you know let's do it this way. Gene Mock fined me a hundred bucks one time. He was mad at guys for uh, you know not uh, not running balls uh, not running balls out hard to first base and they grounding out or popping up or something. And and I always did that. I, I felt like I, I, I took pride in, in, in running hard all the time, even even when I didn't want to when I popped up or, or grounded out or something. And uh, so he, he told everybody, next time, the next guy that didn't run a ball is going to be $100. And uh, I, we were playing in Baltimore, and I hit a bullet 
at uh, my old college uh, friend uh, Rich Dower at second base. I mean a bullet. And I started, I started running, and the ball hit right at him, chest high right at him. And so I, you know, I stopped. I mean, the ball got about three feet from him, and I just, I just said, oh, man. I mean, it was right at him. I hit a line, just a shot right at him. And he dropped the ball. He just knocked the ball down. I mean, it was the easiest play in the world. And, he, and, and I'm standing there, you know, 10 feet from home plate looking like an idiot. <laughs> and um, it, it, because it, because a big league player can't catch a line drive hit right at him, and so I walked in after the game with a hundred dollar bill and put it on Gene's uh, put it on Gene's <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 damn it, he took it too. <laughs> he's like, yep. Well, you hustle it out next time. You want to pay hundred yeah, bucks? I mean, yeah, you're uh, you're supposed to know he's he's going to drop it. <laughs> Um, where, hey, where th- this team right now is twelve and a half back in the wild card, which means it's division or bust. With the Indians off to a mediocre start, they're five back in the division. We are getting into that time of the summer where you got to start thinking about the trade deadline here in about five or six weeks. Where do you stand on this team right now? Are you letting it ride for a little while before you determine whether or not they're officially out of this thing? Where, where, what do you think? Well, I'm letting it ride uh, for a while, but just because. Uh, because we just haven't seen guys hit anywhere close to what we think they're going to hit, other than Rosario and, and Escobar. I mean, Brian Dozier hasn't gotten started yet. We know Sano is uh, really struggling. Buxton's been hurt more than he's played, and when he's played, he was he was struggling as well. Kepler's Kepler's not there yet. I mean, he's been, been nice against left-handers, but uh, inexplicably, he's had trouble against right-handed pitching, which is not him. So it's kind of hard to know. Uh, right now, um, and um, I think that there would be some guys that are questionable contract-wise next year. That in another month or so, if things haven't haven't changed, if you can improve your club by uh, by trading uh, one of those guys, uh, you might do that. But I think it's a month early, and uh, we just have to wait and see if they're going to start swinging the bass. Sano, what do you do at at this point? Because I've got I've gotten Roy to the point now where I watch the, these at bats, and I almost think it's it's doing him a disservice to continue to play him up here. But I mean, do you send him down? What what can you possibly do uh, to at least get him on semi the right track? I really don't know the answer uh, to that. I, I wish I had a I wish I had an answer, and and I don't. I have a different personality. Um, then I, I think it, it, I'm not going to second guess any anybody. I mean, I know they're working hard. I know he's working hard with James Rouse, they're trying to do some things. Uh, it's tough for a, for a hitting coach when a guy's had success doing things one way uh, it, it, his whole life, and then all of a sudden is really, really unsuccessful. Then what do you what do you do? It, my personality my personality and my inclination would probably be wrong. I I can't I, I could not as a player do that time after time. You know, it's the definition of insanity kind of kind of thing. And I would yes. I would have to change things drastically. I mean, I would I would really change my approach around or what I was trying to do with the baseball. I think with with young players now. I think where James Rousen has a, a problem is he's got to try to get them to change, to get to a different place, a little more baby steps at a time. And and so I probably, I probably couldn't, you know, couldn't be a, a hitting coach because I would have Sano doing things so much more differently 
then, and I don't think you can do that. So I, I know they're working hard uh, to try and get him to where he needs to be. I, I just I don't have an answer for it. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, it's uh, and he's not in the lineup today for people who are wondering. And they've got Maurer coming back from his rehab stint, so they're going to have to figure out some roster things here. And who knows? You maybe- know, real quickly, I would just tell you, I, I'll just tell you guys, they miss Joe Maurer a lot. They missed that 400 on base percentage, hitting second, uh, first or second. Uh, they they really do. And, and when when other guys aren't hitting, or, and when or if two guys, you know, Rosario and Escobar are, are swinging it the way uh, they are. They need one more guy, like you know, they they could really use a a 400 on base percentage guy in front of in front of some of these other guys. Yeah, for sure. I I think we I think we lose lose track sometimes of, you know, for all of the you know what everybody complains about uh, Joe this and that. I I think we we lose sight of the fact that it's just not that easy to have a 400 on base percentage in the big leagues. Yeah, Friday, mm-hmm. Roy, he's back on Friday. Yep, yep. They so, that's good, Roy. Great Thank stuff. You, Roy. We love talking. We'll talk next week. Okay, sounds good. All right, Roy okay. Smalley from Fox Sports North. Let's talk more about Miguel Sano here when we come back. Twins up one nothing on the Tigers. Lance Lynn laboring in the first inning, which is a pretty frequent sight this season. Runners on the corners for Detroit. Played, He's throwing actually. 25 pitches already. He Ugh. does have a one and two count with two outs on Hicks here. So we'll update you on that. And uh, we'll keep an eye on the U.S. Open here, too. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Bill Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Dripping in sex appeal. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Judd's dance moves on full display here. Oh, I've got to go. What was that? Was that the, I gotta, the, the walk little, like an Egyptian? Yeah, what yeah is a that? little hand movement, little hand arm. Yeah, yeah. no question about it. I yeah. like this song. Yeah. Is, is the, the hand movement, is that something you picked up at uh, Benilde? Or what was the... Um... No, nah, post Benilde, I think. Okay. Uh, probably some great dance club. The college months? <laughs> the college. You, as opposed to Saved by the Bell, the college years, <laughs> I had Judd the college months. It's very good. Have you ever gone, I'm trying to envision Judd Zolget in like a dance club. Have you ever gone to a dance club? or have you, yeah, you ever back like, in the day. At weddings, do you ever get down a little bit, go on the dance floor? After a few drinks, but that's been a long time. But I used to go to... Uh, a boogie boogie? <sighs> When I Before I was of drinking age, we used to go to, uh, there was a place, what was it, after the gold rush? And alligators. Oh, yeah, we'd go there. We'd bust a move. It was great. Good stuff. Alligators, man. Yeah. Gators in off of uh, Rockford Road. Yeah. I feel like I've been I to that to place before. Yeah. It probably have been. Yeah. It was a place to go. It was lost a little move. It was, it was a, the happening place to be in the late 80s, boys. I'll <laughs> tell you that. The happening place. The happening place to be in the late 80s. <laughs> I don't know if it's still around now. Oh, man. And the Gold Rush was a big, that, that was a big dance club. Yeah. I, I think it's been torn down. I think it's completely gone. Hopefully, now. yep. Hopefully, I busted too many moves. They're like, we mm-hmm. got to get rid of this place. Zolgad's too good. Uh, here's your update: Miguel Sano on the all-time strikeout rate leaderboard, baseball history. They track this going back to at least to 1915. So this is a 100-plus year sample of Major League Baseball players. Miguel Sano still with a strong lead. The most strikeout-prone hitter in the history go, of Mickey. Major League Baseball. Way to go, Miggy. Yes. yes. I, and I did not misspeak. I'll say it again. Miguel yep. Sano is the most strikeout-prone hitter percentage of plate appearances in the history of Major League Baseball. That's right. We're going to strike out, Miguel. We're going to score. We're going to whiff. Twins, watch that baseball soar. Back to the catcher's glove. How long has baseball been around? I mean, it hasn't been around. Since the 1800s. They didn't track strikeouts at quite the same aggressive nature, but... Hitters weren't striking out in the 1800s. It was, come on, throw it in there, Sonny Barker. Yeah, 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 y
Uh, catchers weren't even wearing masks or gloves back in the 1800s. They didn't want the ball. So like like Mitch Garver now. He might as well. With no glove. Yeah. Might as well catch it barehanded. Uh, he's just ahead. He's two percentage points ahead. He strikes out for his career. It's even worse this year in yeah. 36% of his plate appearances. Melvin Nieves, if you don't count pitchers who hit, Melvin Nieves from the mid-90s, was a Braves and Tigers, a couple different teams. I remember Melvin Nieves. Is, uh, yeah. Right next to him. So uh, let's break down what Smalley said about Miguel. and Because Roy doesn't want to uh, directly criticize, but I think what he said was... Uh, Miguel and Rawson are both working very hard to uh, to end this enormous slump. But he, then he also said something that I found to be very telling, which is he said, if this was me, I couldn't do this because the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and o- over again. Meaning that no matter what they're working on, his approach at the plate, I believe, never changes. Yeah. and Okay, that's disturbing. And he's not the only power hitter in this category that's having... And the guy I'm going to mention is having an even worse season, probably exponentially worse. Chris Davis, Chris Davis for the Orioles, and he and he came on with the Rangers as this massive power hitter, like I don't know, eight years ago. And Chris Davis is having a lot of problems at age 32. He's not out of his prime yet, just catching up to pitches up in the zone. I think what's happening is these guys like Davis and Miguel Sano. It's not like they're hitting every pitch out of the ballpark. Eddie Rosario is a more dangerous hitter because you can throw in pitches out of the zone on either side of the strike zone, above it, below it, and he might hit it out of the ballpark. Miguel Sano needs a pitch in a pretty specific keyhole, as Roy Smalley put it, to drive it out of the park. I think for some reason he was able to hit more pitches or a wider range of pitches out of the ballpark when he was a rookie, but for guys like Chris Davis and Miguel Sano, pitchers and analytic departments have so much information on what works and what doesn't against these guys, they just become, they, they can't adjust. Like, well, okay, we're never going to throw you a fastball inside, and we're only going to throw you breaking balls inside. Yeah, that slider, for instance. He just yep. can't hit that. If it's 3-0 and or something, okay, we'll pipe a fastball, but right. we'd rather walk you than throw you a pitch where you're going to hit it. And so these guys, and, and these guys haven't made the adjustment. Okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to settle for little singles to right field until they bring the ball back into my zone. Right. It's like it, the ball is in their court. The like the ball is in Miguel Sano's court and Chris Davis. Pitchers aren't going to cater to you. And I don't even know why pitchers were catering to you four years ago, but they're definitely not catering to you anymore, and it's on you to adjust to it, and they can't. And this goes back to when, when Sano came up, and this is what frustrates me. He struck out a lot then, but he had an approach at the plate, and it's like now he has said, screw the approach completely. So I think Roy's point is is what you just said, which is, okay, I might not hit home runs consistently, but if I have an approach at the plate and I start to get singles again, now they're going to have to pitch me more the way that I want as opposed to what's happened now, which is I don't know that there is a position player with as feeble of swing as, as when Sano gets that slider. Yeah. Because there's no... What is that swing? Well, did you see the... He had a... He had a uh, I think it was a fastball, but... There was a runner on, I can't remember the exact scenario. I just remember he hit a ball that wound up actually being like a 90, 95 mile an hour ball off the bat in terms of exit velocity. Dan Hayes had that right after the swing. So he hit it pretty hard, but it was to the right of the pitcher and it was on the ground and his swing was like this weird inside. So it was it was yes, a pitch on the I outer know, half. Yeah, yep. And it was this weird kind of inside out it's, awkward swing. It's the swing I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like when Logan Morrison tries to hit a ball to opposite field. You're like, oh, don't do that. 
But Logan Morrison right. has been unapologetically pull for his whole career. We saw a guy his rookie year who was driving the ball to right center field. It's not like, oh, we're trying to get a guy who always pulls it. We're trying to get Josh Willingham to and hit a ball to right field. At that time, we all said, wow, this is fantastic. Yes. And you strike out a lot, but but you know what you're doing at least. Yeah, it's one thing to take guys who have just been pull conscious for a decade or for their whole lives and say, okay, we really need you to hit the ball to right field. For him, he's made this conversion to just strictly pull happy for the last two or three years, and he's almost completely ignored Anything other than a home run or a double to left field, um, and that's that's going to wind up being his downfall. If he can't if he can't fix it, it's not like pitchers are going to say we feel bad too. No, here's I, a I'm just going to lob right. one to you where you want it to be. But I don't know I don't know that the Twins are doing him a service by having him try and fix it here. I think you got to tell him, Miguel, we're yeah. going to send you down. We'd like you to get in shape too. But beyond that, we're gonna sit, we're gonna send you down, and you have to work on this. This is something that you have to work on. Would hit? Would he even have an argument? I could see a few weeks ago. No, you know, okay, but it's it's the middle of June, man. I you're striking out in half the plate appearances. My feeling is that you could sit him and and his representatives down and say, like it or not, we're doing you a favor. We are doing you a favor. Yeah, and it could even be framed in a way if you thought that he was going to have a major backlash to the news. You could sit him down and say, listen, we want you, you could pull out all the cards. We want you to be an MVP monster at some point. And we want you to make all the money that your family and the generations of families could ever swim in. But what we're doing right now isn't working. So we're going to take a step back here. Let's work together on this. Like you, you'd have to frame it that way. You couldn't just be a punishment. Right. No. Because if it's a punishment, it might it might wind up making it even worse for him and for you. And ultimately, as a team, you're invested in his success, so it can't just be like, we're punishing you. It has to be some sort of an investment where he's on the right. same team and, and agrees with the decision. When I, when I watch Buxton fail now, I feel bad, and I say to myself, I don't know if this can be, can be fixed. When I watch Sano fail, it makes me mad. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this way. With Buxton, you might be in trouble. You might just be in trouble, and it might not work. But when you watch Sano failing, and as Roy said, continuing to do the same thing over and over and o- over again, it makes you mad. Yeah. Uh, 651-646-8255, if you have thoughts on what to do with Sano. We have one more segment left. Uh, we're keeping an eye on Twins. Lance Lynn did get out of the last jam. Twins went down quickly in the second, so... It uh, looks like a ground out to second there for Nico Goodrum. Twins up one to nothing, bottom of the second inning. Lance Lynn on the mound. Let's talk about Chris Lindahl Real Estate here for just a moment. Chris Lindahl Real Estate, the real estate brokerage, is here. This is a big move that Chris announced a couple weeks ago. It's 100% control of the Chris Lindahl brand with no parent umbrella company. And uh, and the good news is for you, the the homeowner, the potential home seller, it's the same great team, the same innovative team, the same relentless push to bring a fresh approach to the industry, and that spirit of being generous and giving back to the community, that's the same as well. But by becoming their own brokerage, the Chris Lindahl team now is free to innovate as quickly as they want to. It's their innovation independence. And I have firsthand experience with this innovation a year and a half ago, I made a bunch of money, more money than I thought, on the sale of my condo. If you want to find out more about Chris Lindahl Real Estate and how you can have an amazing experience as well, chrislindahl.com, that's Chris with a K, or... Mackie and Judd are back. One of the most absurd 
things you can do in sports media. On 1500 ESPN. 1500 ESPN has your chance to win your way into the X Games. Check out the 1500 ESPN stream player and listen on air for ticket giveaways. X Games Minneapolis returns to U.S. Bank Stadium July 19th through the 22nd. Featuring competition for the greatest action sports athletes, musical performances by Cascade, Brother Ali, Ice Cube, and Zed, plus X-Fest and the X-Fest Interactive Village. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword is events. Here we go. It's the moment we've been waiting for all show, gentlemen. Tiger Woods approaching his golf ball on the first tee here at Shinnecock. Give us a little play-by-play. The Tiger with uh, a wise move here, an iron off the first tee. It's very windy. Everyone's over par. A little low stinger there. 153-mile-an-hour ball speed with an apex of 75 he feet. He likes and it. And he loves That's it. A nice the club shot. twirl right down the middle as Tiger Woods. One under is the score to beat right now. In fact, let's throw it to Dave Harrigan. Do we have a scoreboard uh, available here? We can absolutely do that. Let's go to the U.S. Open leaderboard update where most of these golfers, the top golfers in the world, have looked like weekenders at a muni. Yes, we do have two players in the clubhouse at one under par. That is Scott Piercy and Ian Poulter, both finished with their rounds. Uh, See, four others are at one under right now, but early in their rounds, afternoon tea times. Brian Gay, Chun An Yu, who is an amateur, uh, Ted Potter, and Rafa Cabrera Bayo, all at one under par. Uh, Some of the other notables as we scroll. Oh boy, we are scrolling down far. Ricky Fowler, he is three over par. Uh, Jimmy Walker, five over par. Still looking for some of the other big Boy. ones. Where's and we're Phil? Still going. Phil and Bubba Watson together at seven over par. Jordan Oof. Spieth eight over oh. par. I believe. Uh, so Rory is, is even worse than that. Then Rory right? jumped back to ten. He had it at ten earlier. Went to eight over. He jumped oh back to ten God. over. Uh, and let's see. He is done for the day. Yes, an eighty in the <laughs> yeah. clubhouse. Done right. for the day That's and done aggressive. for the weekend. It's aggressive. So. Uh, although those scores are bad, but it's possible if the winning score is over par that those guys are still in the tournament if they can just not train wreck tomorrow. Sometimes it's weird. It's when these U.S. Opens and British Open conditions get crazy bad. A bad crooked number score doesn't put you out of it as much as you would think. We'll see. People are saying that the afternoon scores might even be worse because the greens are going to be even harder. Yeah, you don't get that morning moisture, whatever there was. So it's going to be even. Even more ridiculous fast greens, and the wind is still going to be bad. Tougher for your guy. Oof. Um, well, <laughs> you. Gosh, sorry, Phil. Sorry, Max. For my guy. Intern Max, very That's confident. Yeah. I'm sure that Tiger's going to go three under. Six five one six four six eight two five five. What's up, Howard? There's two things about Sonoma, maybe three. One, he's got to lose weight, and I think part of the problem, if you look at his swing, he doesn't have the extension he used to have. He's fouling off balls or hitting. Uh, six wounded ducks out the right field instead of clearing defense. But sending him down to the minors says nothing. Unless you believe you're going to wake him up by sending him down to the minors. If you believe this team can make the playoffs and you sit him on the bench for two for a week to two weeks, realistically they're not going to. you got to play him and let him hopefully get out of it one way or another. And don't play Grossman because he does nothing for you. And I, I don't care if we have dreams of grandeur. You're going to trade Gibson to the Yankees. You're going to make some other trades, and you're going to rebuild for next year. So the whole year is a mulligan. Any place to know? 
and if by the end of the year he doesn't do anything, then goodbye, guy. Get rid of him. You know what? Howard said something. Thank you, Howard. So as I think the last card-carrying member of the Robbie Grossman fan club, I got to turn the lights out on the bus. I'm getting Is off. Wetmore doing the same? Because you, bo- you guys were both together on this one. I think I can speak for both of us. It was a great run on the Robbie Grossman bandwagon for a couple years there. Just an on-base machine. Would go would go deep into counts, take good at-bats against tough pitching, but now clutch that, hits. Now that's it? You're done? Switch hitter. You could you could put him in the lineup anywhere you wanted to, and he'd give you a tough at-bat. I, I'm handing in the card keys. I can't do it anymore. Sorry, Robbie Grossman. It's, well, it's, it's the final you straw. You can't put the guy in the outfit. Last night's Last throw. night when, when the ball flew into the camera well? You could justify some of the bad outfield stuff the past few years. Can you say, well, I mean, listen, Robbie Grossman, he's here to, he's a cyborg walk taking machine yeah. at the plate, okay? Yep. He's not here to fool around in left field or right field. Well, now he's got like five hits on the year, it seems like. Yep. What he is, what, one home run or something? It's not so good. No. And he's airmailing but you got both him. cutoff but men. But you got him for nothing, so that's fine. You got your value out of Robbie Grossman. If it's sure. done, it's done. Time to fold the cards. The snow thing, Howard, I completely disagree, though. I mean, are you really going to get to the end? of? So you're going to put him on the bench for two weeks, bring him back off the bench. I don't think a thing's going to change. You're going to get to the end of 2018 and then just release him? I don't agree with that at all. Well, I think what he's saying is sending him to the minor leagues wouldn't do anything, and I don't even know if I disagree with that. So he goes and mashes on weak pitchers that can't locate their fastball like major league pitchers can and don't have the same breaking balls. And then he gets up here and he faces the same problems. So, but here's why you do it. I think. I think you do it hey, hold because. On, hold on, hold on. It's Tiger. Tiger. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Well, he's hitting the ball now. Oh, look at this little. Oh, little, this little is cut shot. Little, you and Max little, are going oh, right down because this, this yeah. looks good. Oh, oh, oh whoa, no! Oh, Tiger! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold that, Tiger! Whoa! Wait a second. Who cut those clubs? Are those clubs oh, oh, regulations? Hold. Oh, look, he's so down what already. He didn't just roll off the back. He overshot the green. Oh, he's going to have, he's basically has to go into the stands I mean, to get this ball back. There. I don't understand. Who, what kind of playing conditions are these? Who decided to put a false front on the back of the green yeah. like that? That's not Shinnecock fair. Shinnecock is, uh, what this is, that? is, this is an abomination. Well, I'm, I'm going to write a letter. That's so, pretty terrible. So I get Sano down to Rochester because I'm just trying to, uh, to get him some confidence back, and if it works, it works. But I don't want to. I don't want to bench him for two weeks here. He sits there. He gets depressed. He eats more. He goes up to three fifteen. <laughs> bring him back off the bench. He struggles again, and then I'm going to get to the end of the year and just release him. I love my favorite thing about when when you talk like about Sano is that like your Sano, and I don't even disagree. But every path you go down with Sano winds up with him at three hundred fifty pounds. Yes. At, that's a, a golden th- corral for every <laughs> yes, meal. He's gonna, yes, if I bench him, if I bench him in Cleveland, he's going to find the buffet, and he's not going to be playing baseball. Yes, exactly. Every scenario winds up with Miguel Sano's head underneath the chocolate fountain at Golden <laughs> yes, Corral. Yes, he's going to he's going to be down on himself, <laughs> and then he's going to go eat. He's going to go binge eat. I'm okay. concerned about this. Would you rather be Tiger Woods? In the the grassy area, which by the way, it'll be really easy for him to get up and down there from the. Oh yeah, he's like oh, seventy no yards problem. behind the green, but yeah, the or these other shoot. two goofs in his group who are in the front bunker with fescue surrounding it. I'd call these guys professionals. I can hit it in the bunker. <laughs> Ernie Els, you are looking old these days, buddy boy. He's got the dad bod. Yeah, he does. Bit. Yep, and if anyone knows the dad bod, it's the two guys in this room. Oh right yeah, here. oh yeah, yeah. 
For for two guys who aren't dads, we are sure fatties, aren't we? We're preparing. Well, I'm preparing for the future. <laughs> I think the ship has probably sailed for you. I got a you dog. Could adopt, I guess. I got a dog, Stella. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I got. All right, we're loaded. We have a scoop tomorrow. It's game show Friday. Write that down. Mm-hmm. Collar's going to come in, talk some football. Chris Singleton will join, talk Twins baseball. We'll see you guys later. Find our stuff on the Mackie and Jed Show page, 15 ESPN.com.